Good evening, and welcome to Meet the Artist Interviews. I'm your host, Charles Chip McNeil, the Director of Education for the San Francisco Ballet Center for Dance Education. And I'm very pleased to be here on this Friday evening, March 23rd, 2012. We're recording live from the San Francisco War Memorial Opera House, and it's a pleasure to welcome all of our listeners this evening, those here in person and those who will eventually listen online. The Meet the Artist interviews, as well as the Points of View lectures, are sponsored by the San Francisco Ballet Center for Dance Education, and most of these interviews will be available as podcasts. You can hear these podcasts, read blogs, learn more about our dancers and our company by visiting our website at San Francisco Ballet or sfballet.org. Tonight, we are really lucky. Please welcome the choreographer and artistic director of Scottish Ballet, Mr. Ashley Page. Good evening, everyone. Thank you. Now, I'm not going to start his life at the very beginning and tell you the whole story, but I will tell you that he was born in Rochester, Kent, uh, and Page joined the Royal Ballet in 1976 after graduating from the Royal Ballet School. His first ballet, A Broken Set of Rules, was created for the Royal Ballet in 1984, the very same year he was promoted to principal dancer. His, collaborative collaborate, his creative collaborations would continue to investigate new territories and inform the creation of works such as the ballet Pursuit in 1987, Piano in 1989, Bloodlines in 1990, and Fearful Symmetries in 1994. This ballet actually received the uh, 1995 Olivier Award for Best Dance Production. His style, while considered distinctive, defies, defies categorization to some extent, as he seems to relish the excavations of new and diverse choreographic influences. I wrote that. <laughs> I just want to say. Mr. I thought I did. Mr. Page, Mr. Mr. Page has a unique and fertile process of fusing classical ballet with contemporary choreographic principles, and in this interplay, seems to be at the heart of his creative process. Indeed, his ballet seemed to hold both a theatrical vibrancy as well as an intimacy and an immediacy. In his biography, as it states on the Scottish Ballet website, his work has a blend of idioms combined with a quest for experimenting beyond the set borders of techniques and styles. And this provides both his dancers and the viewers with breathtakingly stimulating works characterized by a provoking game of asymmetrical symmetries. <laughs> that did I did write not that. write. No, that I did not write. <laughs> but it's not surprising that these signature features have also made their way into Mr. Page's artistic vision for the Scottish Ballet, where he became artistic director in 2002. And he's not afraid to take on really big classical works, such as his full-length ballets, which include The Nutcracker, uh, that was in 2003, Cinderella in 2005, The Sleeping Beauty in 2007, and Alice in 2011. Altogether, he's choreographed 15 works, including those four full-lengths. Page received the OBE designation, which is the... Can you tell me what... what? Order of the British Empire in 2006. That's what, I always forget that phrase. And it's garnered various accolades and awards for his company and for his directorship. Uh, and we are very pleased to have him here this evening. And that was a long-winded introduction. But you did it. 
<laughs> so I, I just want to begin. Um, your ballet is called Guide to Strange Places, and it's named after the John Adams work of the same name. Uh, this is your first American commission. And so tell us how you began, how you came to this place where uh, you were choreographing this work for San Francisco Ballet. I'm not really sure how, how it came. I, I was invited by Helgi to make a new piece. I don't know what the, his reasoning behind that was, hopefully because he was interested in my work. Um, and I came in, the invitation came Christmas, just before Christmas 2010. Uh, and I came out in August to look at the company and cast the ballet. And I, at that point, I think I decided I would use this score. Um, and then I came back in late October for three, nearly four weeks and made the piece. And then I came back about a week and a half ago to put it on stage. So it's a pretty simple story, really. Wow. So prior to the invitation, had you met or had he simply just been exposed to your choreographic works and, uh, and was inspired by that? I came to see the 75th anniversary uh, program of 10 new works in 2008. And I, and I did meet Helgi then, but I don't know that that was a particularly significant meeting. Um, um, it was just, a, a, a came out of the blue, really, um, and I suppose he must have seen my work somewhere. I don't know. We haven't really talked about it. Mm -hmm. does, does having your first American commission have any significance for you, or oh, just very, any commission? Very much significance, mm -hmm. because as a member of the Royal Ballet, I toured the, the States a lot. I mean, we used to come in those days every year, every other year, and we used to do six weeks, sometimes longer, tours, which was wonderful. So I, since my early 20s, I've had a, uh, an association with America, and I've really always enjoyed very much coming here. And so to actually be involved creatively, mm -hmm. especially with this company, I mean, it really is one of the great companies of the world right now, and a real treat to be asked to make something for them. Wonderful. You, you mentioned almost in passing that you had selected the John Adams composition, but so my question is, was that something that had been sort of gestating for you, a, a piece yeah. of music that you'd been waiting to work with? <clears throat> it was premiered in, uh, its music premiere was in 2001 in mm -hmm. Holland, and I am in touch with all the big music publishers, and they send me music all the time because they know I'm looking for music. And so that one duly arrived, the CD of it, um, and I immediately thought, yeah, this would make a great piece. And sometimes with these things, you, you get to use them straight away, and sometimes they, they kind of get put on the back burner for a bit. And it was just after that that I went to the Scottish Ballet, and a lot of other kind of repertoire needed making there. So I, I didn't really think it was time to do that, uh, to, to use this music. Mm -hmm. As soon as Helgi asked me to make a piece for this company, that was one of the pieces that kind of popped up in my mind. I mean, there were others too, but, mm -hmm. but that, I think, that was always going to be the front runner and eventually the obvious choice. Now, was the fact that uh, John Adams is a Bay Area resident have any influence on that? No, that was a pure coincidence. Okay. And, and actually, Fearful Symmetry is the piece you mentioned earlier on mm -hmm. um, that I had a big success with at the Royal Ballet was also to John's score of Fearful Symmetry, it's the same title. Uh, and I did meet him. He came to see the piece in London. He was on a tour conducting, I think, in, in Europe, and he came mm -hmm. by to see it, and I met him then. And I've used other scores of his in the interim, mm -hmm. and we've kept in, we always keep in touch. So 
I'm hoping he's going to be here tonight, actually. I'm not sure. Wonderful, wonderful. We can look forward to that. So that brings up, I think, this is such a great opportunity for this audience. I mean, I hope that you guys can appreciate that this is the opening night for his ballet, and he's taken the time to actually be here for this interview on such an auspicious occasion. It's, it's, <laughs> quite, it's quite unique. Um, Thank you. But, but to get some insight into the choreographic process, when you have the music, is, do images come to your mind? You are so known for the way that you work, not just with music, but really make it sort of integral to the dance and make it yeah. sort of expressively representative. I mean, uh, obviously if I'm making a full-length narrative work, um, the story has to be told and all of that has to be clear. Mm -hmm. But if you're making a, essentially, you know, I, the word abstract is, is the one that comes to mind, and a lot of people run away from that. Uh, but it is meaning plotless, non-narrative, pure dance, uh, and that's what this piece is. Um, the title of the ballet is just the title of the music. I couldn't think of a better one. Uh, it's a fantastic title, but it does suggest uh, something rather mm -hmm. other than nothing, mm -hmm. um, and that was the trick. So that through the design, we've we've hoped we've um, kind of dealt with that issue, that, that the title, the design reflects something in the title. Because the dance, apart from being, um, I think it, it creates a world mm -hmm. that the dancers exist in, and it has a language, a common mm -hmm. language through the cast, but a lot of ballets do that. Um, it's quite a, it's quite a s extreme language, so there's a, there's a sense of community, I suppose, um, almost tribal at, at some points, mm -hmm. particularly towards the end. Um, but the, the music, just going to back to what you originally said, the music is the reason this piece exists, mm -hmm. uh, the ballet exists, and um, it, everything in the, in the ballet is a, is a response to the music. And, and what I try to do is not just sit, dance alongside music, but actually get right inside the music. I don't know if you can understand what I mean by that, but it's so, I, the music, I study the music incredibly closely, and so I know it very intimately, and probably better than the dancers ever will. Mm. But um, I lead them into it, I suppose. And, uh, and it's, I'm trying to, to get to the heart of, of the music, I suppose that's the best way to say it, really. Right. Un unlock something and make the music visual in a way, I suppose, really. Mm -hmm. You talk about the insight and, and intimacy that you have with the music, and do you try to convey that to your dancers? Do you try to bring that mm -hmm. out? Oh, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. It's very important. Um, and that's why casting is important. You want dancers that are going to pick up on this kind of music. Some dancers, you know, they'd rather dance to a tune. <laughs> there aren't many tunes in it, I'm afraid. Um, and... Yeah, they, 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 they're, you can get that wrong if you're not careful, and then you're fighting a bit of a losing battle because they're not coming with you. Mm -hmm. So, and of course, in a company that I'm not so familiar with, um, at home, I'm handpicked my own dancers and developed them, so I, they know, you know what I expect of them, and they're with me all the way. Um, but when you come to work with a company for the first time, you're, that's part of the, the process, is that learning curve for both me, getting to know them, and the dancers getting to know what I want out of them. But that was what was amazing. And I, I think it's not unusual here because they have so many choreographers coming to make new work all the time. But what was amazing was how the dancers just didn't question anything. They just dived right in. Maybe that's because I just happened to be lucky and pick the kind of dancers that were interested in what I was trying to do. I just don't know. 
but they did, and I was able to make this work in actually what was 18 days in the end. So, uh, and given how 18 complex, days. Yeah, and it's only 23 minutes, but it's like so layered that I, I was choreographing to the same section of music two or three times because there are several things going on at once, mm -hmm. quite a lot of the time. So it's very densely layered. Mm -hmm. So it was, yeah, it was quite tough to, to get it done, but we did, we did get it done. And the 18 days refers to the beginning, to the end of the initial choreographic process. When you come back, and they learn it earlier in the season, when you come back to actually perform the dance, you still make some adjustments and some changes? Well, um, it's because of, it's been an incredibly busy week. I don't know if you know, but there's, there was another world premiere on Wednesday mm -hmm. in a completely different program. So the company's been rehearsing six ballets, plus Romeo only just finished before I arrived. So... No, there wasn't a lot of time. There isn't a lot of time. I didn't have any time to make any revisions. Oh, my goodness. So it's what, it, it's what I made in, in November, October, November. And I've just done as much, because there was also a second cast to try to get ready. Um, so I've been working a lot with the second cast. Well, a lot, whenever we can. Mm -hmm. But we've had lots of stage rehearsals this week, technical rehearsals, orchestra rehearsals. So the studio time has, has been... Right. Not that much. And we should point out, though, however, the 18 days does not include the lighting design, the set design, the Oh, no, costumes. the preparation. That's something yeah. completely Yeah, that's me separate. working with the designer um, and the lighting designer. Lighting is very important to dance, uh, particularly these days, increasingly so. Um, and this piece is, is, the lighting is crucial, absolutely crucial mm -hmm. to the atmospheres, to support the designs and what the choreography is doing as well. Mm-hmm. So what I'm hearing you say uh, it's, is that you, you have such a short time to pick the dancers. You're, you're more likely picking dancers who are appropriate for the very context of the piece that you're choreographing rather than just their, liking their particular style or technique. Well, it's a bit of both, actually, because, um, I mean, this company's particularly rich in very strong principal dancers, mm -hmm. so I've got four sets of principal dancers and four couples. Mm -hmm. but one of them's a soloist, but all the rest are principals. So seven principals and a soloist in the top sort of section, hierarchy, if you like, of the, of the casting. But um, what I also do is look for people who will be interesting to work with and, uh, and for me to kind of use their personalities and the way they dance. They're all, they're all quite different. And so, so there are four principal couples and, and they have a, du a duet or two each through the piece. It's essentially an ensemble work with featured, mm -hmm. fe featured couples. And each of the principal couples have, have their own flavor, if you like, mm -hmm. um, because they're all so different. There's a sort of mercurial couple. Uh, there's a sort of slightly romantic, sensual couple. Um, there's a very savage, kind of brutal relationship between mm -hmm. one of the couples. And then there's a a more playfully romantic, less sensual, more playfully romantic couple. But um, I think that's celebrating what the company has, mm -hmm. you know, at, at its disposal in terms of what you can cast from. And that's, so that also affected what I did. Mm -hmm. You know, the music, as I say, it all comes from the music, but then I had these people. So you put the two things together, really. I have, I have so many questions for you, but I am going to make sure I leave time for the audience to ask some key questions. And if you're just joining us, I'm in conversation with Ashley Page, the choreographer and artistic director of Scottish Ballet, who is visiting here as we premiere his new ballet this evening, Guide to Strange Places. 
So I, I want to ask you a little bit about the ballet, and, but before I do that, I actually have a bigger question. Some artists of all disciplines you know, hesitate to explain their work. They want to leave that interpretive, uh, you know, specific sort of subjective experience to the audience. Um, so do you feel that way? Do you like to describe your ballets or do you? I'm not really describing it. Um, we're talking about process mm -hmm. and um, the, the work in the end has to speak for itself, I think. Uh, I mean, I could go into a lot of detail about what's in there, mm -hmm. but then I think that, you, you know, that's kind of spoil it, really. Right. Well, and you call this ballet abstract, where you, you hesitate well, as, to call as it abstract. In, well, because a lot of people, they hear the word abstract and they, they think, oh, God, it's dry and... Mm -hmm. It's and not about anything. Lifeless or right. whatever. And, and, of course, it just means... Most people, when they use it in the arts, mean non-narrative mm -hmm. uh, or non-figurative in, in visual arts or non-landscape or whatever. But it's... Um, it's so, in, in dance, it means... I mean, Balanchine... Most of Balanchine's work is plotless, um, and people would, you know, say it was abstract. But then lots of people would say it's full of expression, which it is, and it needs to be. It's part of the work. So abstract. What is abstract? You know, Balanchine always said, if you put two people, a man and a woman, together on stage, what more story do you need? You know, famous, famous thing he said, um, and that was enough for him. I mean, he did make some story ballets, but that right. wasn't what we, what we remember him for. I don't think it'll be. Right. A, a huge body of fantastic work that's about dancing and music. So, so abstract doesn't mean without inspiration or without intent. It no, it certainly doesn't. For me, it doesn't mean without intent or, or hopefully inspiration. But uh, I think it just—it's—it's it's a useful term that gets misused and misunderstood sometimes, and so people tend not to use it as much mm -hmm. because it's because it is misleading. Okay, so if I were to ask you what your intent was or what your inspiration was, in addition to the music itself, what would, what would that be? The dancers, mm. the company, what the company stands for, I think, mm. in, the, in the modern world. Mm -hmm. um, I think that it is, as I said earlier, it's one of the great companies of the world right now. And uh, coming to see those 10 new works in 2008, past the 75th anniversary, um, I, I mean, I cast quite a few of the dancers that, that really took my attention, you know, they stood out for me. Um, and so coming, what's that, three years later to cast the work, um, I, you know, it was, it was very exciting to sit in the studio and be much closer to them and, and go, oh yeah, I remember that one, I remember that one. And I did a bit of homework as well, you know, before I arrived. But, um, so I cast it quite quickly in the end. Um, and the second cast... I, I had quite a, a, a solid second cast, but I, I also accumulated my second cast and third cast as I was making the work, when I was here actually making the work, because I got to know them better, and I watched class and watched other people's rehearsals and all that sort of thing. So that, and now I know them even better. Mm -hmm. So if I were to make another work, I, you know, I'd, I'd probably use some different people. Not because I haven't enjoyed these, but because I now know how how other people operate, mm -hmm. and... But this cast was definitely the right cast for this, this particular piece. Well, well, that provokes the question, do you ever go back and change your works when you restage this? At a yeah, I mean, you, you know, at home, when I have the luxury of making my own rehearsal schedule, um, I... Yes, I'll, I'll revise things. I mean, all those full lengths you talked about that have come back, Alice has only, has only premiered last year, so we haven't had that back yet. 
but the three big Christmas works, the Beauty, Nutcracker, Cinderella, I, I have revised them. Not, not too much. Not, um, one, one more than the other two, mm -hmm. actually. And that was the first one I made, not the Nutcracker, because it was the first time I'd ever made a full-length ballet. So there was more to fix when we went back to it. But the other two, I think I have hardly changed anything in them. So, um, but other works, shorter works, Fearful Symmetries we've revisited yeah. in Scotland since I've been there, and I did make a few changes to that. So yes and no, really. Okay. Well, as I said, I have lots of questions, but we're going to turn it over to the, to the audience. Let's start with you. Yeah, oh, sorry. It's okay. So um, I'm going to have trouble repeating that. But uh, it, so it seems like it, you you said it was abstract. It's abstract in terms of not having a narrative line, but there are emotional states and emotional qualities that are being expressed. Yeah, and that that comes really directly from the association of the, the particular section of music that I put a particular, let's say in this instance, a couple to dance to that piece of music. That I would choose that couple to go with that music. Mm. So there is a, a relationship between the dancers and the music, as well as just a purely choreographic one, you know, what movement I want to put to it. All of that is affected by who's, cho who's chosen to dance to that particular section of music. So I will, I suppose when I'm casting it, knowing my music very well, I will be looking for people that will fit the idea I want to put into that section of music or this section of music, whichever mm -hmm. it is. Um, so, yeah, and yet also I might have, who knows, subconsciously I might have decided to use this piece of music because I did know the company a bit mm -hmm. and I knew that there was a cast already waiting for me here without me having to actually have it consciously in my head. Um, so I knew that that music would, be, would go very well with a particular set of dancers from this company. So which comes first? You know, it's, it's uh, quite an interesting thing to think about. Yeah. Brilliant question. Thank you. Can we take another question from the audience? Don't yes. Be shy. Has your experience been least handsome, and if so, how? Oh. In, so, in, the, right. so the question is, has your career intersected with that of ballet master Bruce Sansom, and if so, how? Yes, absolutely. We were colleagues at the Royal Ballet uh, for many years. Bruce was in A Broken Set of Rules, which uh, Charles said was my first piece at the Opera House. He was only very young then, so uh, I worked with him f over many years, and uh, we danced together on stage. In fact, in Raymonda that you'll see tonight, we were in the part of couch, the boys' part of couch together. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. And then when I went to Scotland to, to take over the artistic directorship of the, the company there, um, I invited him up as a, a guest teacher, because he'd stopped dancing by then. Um, and then, uh, and, I, and, and he, when he was running uh, the Central Ballet School in London for a while before he came here to do the, the work that he's doing now, um, I would go down, as I would to see all the London schools, to select dancers. Um, so I had an association with him through that as well, as he was the director of the school. So yeah, many years, 1983 or four or something, 1982, I think. So yes. Good. We have time for. Another question or two, very quickly. Yes. So, which couple are we seeing tonight? Romantic, the playful, the serious? 
So which couples are we seeing tonight? Well, it's, it's, there, there are four couples, and they all have a different um, flavor. So the, the, it, I don't want to give too much away, but it opens with, with what I would call the, the mercurial couple, who, who, who move uh, mostly very fast mm -hmm. and are sort of the linking sections between the section, the, the linking element between the sections of the piece. The piece, the music just goes straight through, it doesn't stop. Mm -hmm. there's, there's, no, there's no different movements in it. It's one through composed piece. And the, the four principal couples have, the, so there's the, the, what I would call the mercurial couple at the beginning. Then there's, um, there are two sort of, I, I hesitate to, to use the word romantic, I shouldn't have done that really, because the music doesn't, it's, it's not, I hear romance, romance in it, but, you know, I'm a bit weird, so. Um, there's some gorgeous, luscious uh, music in it, which, um, and in fact, two of the duets, one, one takes over from the other, and briefly, both couples are on stage at the same time. One's been on, and the other, the other couple comes on as, as the first couple are finishing, and there's a sort of handover, and then the first couple leave, and the second couple carry on. And I would say those two, the, the piece of music, that those two couples go through, although it changes, is lighter and more sensual, and and then it gets quite searing. The music gets quite quite uh, kind of not desperate, but it gets it gets very intense. Actually, is, is the word to use there. Um, so so from from playful, uh, romantic, sort of romantically or sensually playful, it goes to something a little bit more serious. But then later on, there's a quite savage piece of music that, um, that has a lot of percussion in it, and it's quite brutal. Um, so another, there's another couple there where the, where the woman is incredibly strong, and the man's just kind of dealing with her. Mm -hmm. you know, she's throwing all these things out there, and he's just having to handle her. So, and then, so, so it's, yeah, don't look for too much romance in there. <laughs> Well, you have indeed given us a lot of, of insight into this work, and, and for us to get to know the creative process a little bit better hopefully makes us better theater goers. I want to thank you for joining me this evening, and I want to remind the audience that tonight uh, you get to see a program, uh, six of Ramonda, Raku, and Guide to Strange Places, and because uh, San Francisco Ballet has recently recorded uh, the music for Raku, uh, principal conductor Martin West and composer Shinji Ishima will be signing CDs in the lobby during intermission. They won't be available at the end of the show, but I encourage you to look for them in the lobby during intermission. Once again, I want to thank my guest, Ashley Page, and enjoy the show. Thank you very much.